We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. My name is Jari Bolander. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Hey, everyone. I wanted to jump in quickly to let you know about the release of the audio version of my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, narrated by David A. Knesser. If you want to support the show, you can buy it wherever audiobooks are sold. Links are also in the show notes. Now on to my guest for today, Janet C. Hogan, founder of The Fifth Door. Janet has had it all, a multi-million dollar home, a family, and a string of successful ventures, including an advertising company. Then the recession of 2008 hit, and Janet found herself facing her biggest fear and challenge finding her own true gift in getting clear on what success really meant among all her losses. After years of exploring the deepest realms of her inner life and facing a simulated near-death experience, Janet realized her gift was to help others root out their core destructive belief in order to find genuine happiness. As a serial entrepreneur, Janet enjoys working with entrepreneurs to help them examine the gap between the core destructive belief, the result of childhood trauma, and the compensating behaviors that we as adults do to make up for it. She strives to provide a process and the tools to help others find their gifts through her programs and coaching at the fifth door. Now, let's get better together. Janet Hogan, welcome to the podcast. 
Well, I'm absolutely delighted to be here, speaking to you all the way from Australia, down under. Yeah, it was, you know, sounds like you have a little bit of an accent. I <laughs> couldn't quite place it. <laughs> it's increasingly becoming a mid-Atlantic accent, I think, with all these Zoom workshops with people from all over the world. But yeah, it's interesting. It does seem that way. It does seem that way. Um, yeah, this. let's not even talk about all the Zoom meetings that we're on, which we happen to be on one right now, talking on the podcast. But uh I am uh, really curious um, about some of the work you're doing um, around the fifth door, which is, I think, a, an interesting idea. And it kind of shares a little bit about all the stuff that I've been doing kind of with my stuff with the entrepreneur ethos. Uh, but before we get into that, what I really like to say is uh, tell us how you got to what you're doing, what you're doing. It's been a, a long journey. Um, I would call myself a serial entrepreneur. When I look back at my life, I've uh, run six different businesses, wow. uh, which makes me sound very uh, schizophrenic, but they were all businesses that I went into because I had a skill that would enable me to do that. So uh, I ran restaurants, um, I ran an advertising agency. I ran a multi-million dollar land development project, um, bought, renovated and sold 117 properties, even ended up in the wedding business and all because <laughs> these were things I could do. Um, but there came the day uh, where I'm a product of the 80s. So the ethos in the 80s was, you know, the harder I work, the more money I make, the more money I make, the happier I'll become. So that was really what was pulling, pulling us forward. Um, and it got to the day where I actually did have everything I thought I wanted. So we had the waterfront mansion uh, in this idyllic place in Australia called the Whit Sundays. There was a private beach next door, turtles cavorting in the bay in front of us, uh, you know, solid marriage, three beautiful daughters. And I'll, I'll never forget the day I looked around at uh, everything that we owned. And um, instead of this promised happiness, all I felt was this um, internal void, you know, like an emptiness. And I realised in that split second that I spent all my life climbing a mountain only to discover, to reach the top and realise that it was the wrong one. And so that was in 2007. Um, and because I didn't do anything, I didn't take any action because what do you do in that situation? Um, yeah, the universe essentially took it for me and uh, and the following year delivered the 2008 um, global financial crisis. Um, so I just watched over a space of 12 months as, as basically everything, just about everything that we'd worked so hard for over the last 30 years uh, disappeared. And the problem with that was that my whole sense of self-worth uh, was literally tied up in my net worth. So as I watched everything that was in the bank, all our assets uh, disappear, it was like I was watching myself disappear, you know, like a, like a finger being chopped off every day until I felt there was virtually none of me left. And uh, there was a moment there when uh, the head of uh, Volkswagen uh, had a, a much bigger loss, but how he dealt with his financial loss was to throw himself in front of a train. Wow. And I remember at the time, uh, I, I didn't feel, uh, you know, empathy, um, yeah. poor man. Um, I just remember being obsessed by one thought, if only that had been me. Yeah. And, uh, and that was really my uh, ground zero point. 
And I and I realize in hindsight, looking back on that moment, I wasn't aware of this at the time. Um, but you know, when something like that happens to us, where we really do want to check out, we have a choice essentially. I think uh, death is inevitable. It, it's really what type of death do you choose? And, you know, if you choose physical death, well, then all you're doing is leaving all that pain and suffering behind for your loved ones to That's deal true. with. So true. Um, so true. So I guess what I experienced was a metaphysical death where I had to let go of something, some belief that I'd been holding on to for dear life. And it was really this attachment to money, you know, this, this drive to put my happiness on hold while we had enough accumulated wealth and then one day we would explore this mysterious concept called happiness <laughs> and I thought you know that sucks <laughs> that's only delivered me misery on top of misery um, so the, the problem then and uh, particularly living in Australia which is never uh, I mean it's catching up but it, it's never been as advanced in the personal growth industry as America so the feeling was I had absolutely no one to turn to at that point so I literally just flew around the world attending workshops, oh, wow. you know, in uh, Singapore, Malaysia, um, trying to piece together this puzzle that was me because I had no idea who I was. I, I just had a vague idea from school that I had certain skills. As, they as it turned out, they weren't even my strengths. Um, just trying to work out, well, you know, what are the answers to life's deepest questions? You know, why am I here? Uh, uh, what do I love doing? Uh, what really matters? Uh, what is it possible to actually have a living that you love? And it's basically taken me the best part of 10 years to find the answer to that. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Pretty, uh, it, I don't even know where to begin because, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I've, I've, I've felt these similar things before, um, and uh, we talked a little bit about, you know, before we, we started recording about my late wife, Jane. Everyone knows about my late wife, Jane. But I felt similar things uh, when she was going through her illness. And, and, you know, after she passed away, like, what's the point? You know, I mean, I, there, there was one time, I don't know how serious I was, but I remember a couple of times when it got like really low where I'm like, well, if I just walked in front of this bus, it would be over. And I don't think I would ever done it. But just the thought process of like, it's that bad that you can't see anything, you know, good about the world. And it compounded on top of that. I mean, I was med self-medicating, as they say, <laughs> pretty severely. I mean, you know, when your wife dies at 36 and you're a, a widower at 46, that's not supposed to happen. Who, no one tells you how to the game plan for that. You could read books, but eh, not so much. Um, but yeah, it's amazing the transformation of that. And I'm I'm with you. I wish I learned sooner <laughs> about the not getting on the rat race because I was on the rat race for a long time as well. Yeah, I I think that yeah, I, <laughs> these dark moments um, for me it was like the world would be a better place without me. That's mm -hmm. what it came to. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that that my checking out would solve problems all around. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and yeah, I realized in that in, in that moment that our 
our self-worth is at zero point, right? And and so so somewhere along the way, as entrepreneurs, and I think it's so easy for us to slip into this because we get gratification. You know, if we're good at what, what we, we do uh, and there's a latent achiever in within us, uh, we do get, you know, uh, gratification and a sense of, oh, I'm being successful. And being so disconnected with ourselves, we don't know how to check in with our emotions. So we're working absolutely in the mental realm. And it's almost like we're ticking off life's tick boxes, checking them off, going, <laughs> yeah, the tick, I'm a managing director. Yeah, you know, I've got this title. That's right. I know that one all too well, believe me. And then, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I did have the good fortune uh, to witness my own death in a sense, to actually experience what that might be like. Um, I went to a Face Your Fears boot camp oh. in Malaysia and uh, they, they had us doing all sorts of things, you know, climbing high wires, diving into the jungle with just one tiny um, line to protect us and a very skinny person down the bottom to catch us. And, you know, so we really did have to face our fears. But the, the most confronting one for me was a simulated death experience. Uh, where they um, actually squeeze your carotid artery till you pass out. And, you know, I might not do this now, but back then I was really, really just searching for answers. Um, and actually at that point I was curious because I thought, you know, I'd read enough about near-death experiences to hear about people talking about a sense of euphoria, seeing the light, seeing their life flash before them. Yeah. Uh, so I, I was kind of expecting something like that. Uh, instead, <laughs> as I passed out, I just heard a voice and the voice said to me, Janet, you've let everyone down. Wow. And, um, and I came to shortly after that uh, with a feeling of, it was like a tsunami wave of disappointment, you know, a real feeling of uh, how could that, you know, wet sock of a line be the summation of my entire life, entire life. Um, especially as I really devoted myself to working hard, you know, being the loyal wife, the, the loving mother, you know, how could I have got it so wrong? And, uh, and so, so what quickly followed that was a sense of outrage, you know, how dare you, <laughs> that, that feeling. <laughs> and then so a bit of, you know, fist shaking at yeah, the heavens. Yeah, you got a battle. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then, because I think we all have this inner knowing, it's just that we haven't been taught how to face up oh, to it. Oh, um, 100%, 100%. Yeah. So uh, I didn't even have to talk to anyone about it. I knew what that line meant. And, and I realized that what I thought had been selfless, you know, devoting my life to all these external things, was actually being selfish because I was denying the world my gift. Now, I wasn't so clear on what my gift was at that point, but I had a sense that there, there was a feeling of self-betrayal. And I have to say that feeling of self-betrayal is probably the deepest pain I've ever experienced, uh, even worse in a way than being at that ground zero point because I believe it's at the source of everything, yeah. that disconnection with the self. It's just yeah. that we don't know how to articulate it. Um, but I had this sense that um, if I've been through this experience and experienced this self-betrayal, just following the path that we're all told is the pathway to success, chances are a whole bunch of other people are walking the same path too. and. From there, I thought, well, this feels like shit, you know, and it's yeah. taken me 10 years. This is ridiculous. So I guess the advertising person in me said, you know, um, what if there was a way to create a path that didn't take 
people this ridiculous amount of time or cost this ridiculous amount of money that I probably invested, you know, six figures in my personal growth. Oh, wow. Um, so um, on programs that really just gave me a little a little piece of the puzzle, but nothing that really answered all those questions. Um, and so I thought, what if there was a, a pathway that was more of a sequential path, you know, that said that was like almost like a rope ladder that I wish someone had thrown me when I was, when I was at the bottom of my pit. Uh, and just said, you know, Janet, climb rung one, climb rung two, <laughs> climb rung three. This is one how you get time. out of your hole. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. One at a time. Yeah, because when we're in that state of um, absolute fear, uh, it's very hard for us to think clearly and make decisions and definitely to take action is almost impossible. So uh, if I'd had someone just to guide me out of that hole, um, I think I would have given anything for that. So that became my obsession. What, what could that pathway look like? Yeah. Whoa. I mean, there are a few people in the world that actually realize what you've realized even, you know, as they, well, most, most people realize as they're about to pass on <laughs> that, you know, not that their life was worthless because I don't think any life's worthless, but that they kind of optimize for the wrong thing. I know when, uh, when Jane was uh, passing away, I remember the last week. The last week was, I think, the worst week of my life, just in terms of, I mean, everything you could imagine went wrong was going wrong. It was crazy. And and I, I just remember, it wasn't that she she lived a, a I mean, she lived a pretty good life. She, she did what she wanted to do. But I just remember her, like, being very calm about what was going to happen and realizing that every day was precious for her. So she's like, every day I wake up is a, is a good day. And I just, that stuck with me. I mean, I, that, that, there was a lot of things that stuck with me and I'm writing a whole book about it, but the, that one thing that every day is precious and that you have only that one day and that you should use that day for something good. And it could be good for you. It could be good for someone else. But if, if you didn't have that connection to who you are, then you don't know how to use your day. So there are sometimes I, you know, you're going to have to go pursue money, fame, fortune. I mean, you have, maybe. Okay. But then there's other days where like, Hey, put the work aside or, you know, go help a friend move or, you know, like th those little things that like, you just can't, <laughs> you can't put your finger on, but they're just so powerful in the moment. And that if you miss them, then it's like, what, what, you know, what, where, what happened to the day? I mean, this would happen to me all the time when I was working really hard. In fact, Jane would work really hard as well. We'd both work really hard. It'd be 10 o'clock at night. We'd be like, where'd the day go? It's like, we spent it all working. And don't get me wrong. We, we loved what we did. She loved what she did. I loved what I did. We loved working together. But there was a certain point where it's like, really? Do we really want to be on that rat race? Because the next step of that is just the next step of that. And the next day, it just never ends. So. Wow. I think we just got to take a deep breath on this one a little bit. <laughs> I appreciate you sharing that because a lot of times entrepreneurs don't share the internal struggle or the mindset or the psychology that drives them. Um, you hear a lot of the facade stuff like I want to build a company and be successful and make a lot of money, yada, 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 get on the treadmill. Um but, you know, deep down, we all need some fulfillment 
as to our purpose. And I, I, I want to talk more about this, you know, the gift that you, you talk about. Um, I, I believe that as well. I think everyone in the world has a gift. You have to figure out what that gift is and you need to share your gift. Some people may not agree with that, but hey, I agree. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about this idea of the gift and that every then that everyone has. Yeah, well, you know, it's actually a very, very old idea. It's an ancient piece of wisdom. You know, if you if you uh, picture in your mind Aladdin's lamp, you know, that lamp, and you remember what's inside that lamp, you know, when you rub it three times, uh, this genie appears and the genie will grant you three wishes. Well, the Latin word genius uh, originally meant that spirit, you know, that that's inside the lamp, except it's not they believed it wasn't inside a lamp, that it's actually inside us. We're the lamp. We have to rub ourselves three times with our genie. I don't know that it's that easy. <laughs> but uh, that this concept that every one of us has this inner spirit, it's like um, a guardian, if you like, that's guiding us uh, towards our true self. Now, somewhere along the way, and we won't get sidetracked about why that might have happened, but somewhere along the way, we've relegated the idea of genius to individuals. You know, so, Jari, if I said to you, when I say the word genius, who do you think of? You know, who comes to mind? Oh, yeah. I mean, you think of all the captains of industry, you know, Steve Jobs, I think Bill Gates, you think you know, um, Warren Buffett, you know, like, or Einstein or, you know, Vanderwalls or, you know, any of these guys or gals, um, you know, the, uh, yeah. was it Mary Johnson from Kennedy Space Center back in the day? Yeah. You think of individuals. Yeah, that's right. You think of them, not me. Uh, it's, it's, again, it's like a duality. It's almost like there's a roll call of them. That's them. And I can aspire to be like them, Mm -hmm. but never for one moment, you know, would I have the ego to think I could be one of those, you know, it's almost like uh, that, that's a, that's almost a, a bad thing or an impossible thing. We give meaning to the word genius that excludes us from being in that equation. So, so the concept is actually that maybe the ancient Romans were right and that maybe all of us does have this uh, inner knowing, this inner genius, and one of the reasons that we fail to recognise it is either that it's too familiar to us, so we take it for granted, or it was buried because we were told that, oh, yeah, but you couldn't, get it, you couldn't make a living doing that. <laughs> um, there's a third element in all of this is that we tend to not want to recognize that genius because it begs the question, having recognized it, who could you become? Uh, inevitably, that person is going to be a bigger person than you are currently. And with that comes a whole bunch of fear. Yes. And yes. Uh, this is the piece where I realized was the tripping point for most people where they would fall over. So I could take them on this journey of showing them their innate skills and abilities and aptitudes, but when I would present that to them, this is where all the resistance would come up. And I went, okay, I'm not going to devote my life to helping people realise their inner gift if they're not able to receive it. So uh, I thought, what's that all about? <laughs> and I, I set myself a goal to become the world's best processor because I'm fascinated by processing people's um, beliefs. So I worked with lots of therapists and psychologists and people who are really good at doing that. 
And uh, somewhere out of the ether came this program that I created, which was this step-by-step program to help people deconstruct what I recognised was the thing that was holding them back, which I hadn't been able to uh, um, identify before. So, um, yeah, so I basically reverse-engineered life, (laughs) going back from our greatest problems, whatever they are, you know, in my case, massive financial loss based on absolute uh, zero self-worth, um, and go and went, okay, what was behind that? Okay, there was fear that, that brought us to, to that, that created that. What was behind the fear? That was the missing piece. But it did bring me back all the way back to childhood, and I realised that, that everything, uh, that uh, our programming comes from that. You know, we talk about the childhood wound. And that's essentially the piece um, that when it's not acknowledged is going to bring us unstuck. And I thought, what is it about the childhood wound? So just um, imagining for a moment that everyone, I don't believe anyone escapes this. It doesn't matter how beautifully caring and conscious your parents are. uh, It's almost like this is a journey each of us has to take. At a very early age, we come uh, come across some kind of uh, shock, you know, or event or set of circumstances that is not aligned with who we know ourselves to be. So at a, at a very young age, typically between the age of zero to seven, something will happen. You know, in my case, I was a cherished only child and then suddenly, and I thought I was the whole world to my parents and then suddenly my baby sister came along, you know, so <laughs> voila, abandonment, you know, yeah, nobody exactly. loves me. What's wrong with me? Yeah. So that's just typical and, and obviously we can go through all different types of traumas. A lot of people can't remember them be, for good reason, you know, yeah. because um, our system can't, doesn't want, simply doesn't want to bring them up. But I think we have to realise actually that none of us gets out of this, none of us escapes this situation. It's only, if we're going to attach any meaning to it, it's only bad, in quotes, if we leave it unacknowledged. And that's when things go wrong in our life. So, so. Uh, if you imagine some kind of emotion that is too much for us to process, say at the, the age of maybe five, which might be typical, um, you know, it might be shame or humiliation. Uh, they're usually the, the deepest, most crippling ones. And because we can't handle that, we create this thing that I realised is the thing that trips us up. Um, and I call it a core destructive belief. And so it's a belief uh, that's almost like insulation around this emotion to protect us from the pain of when we feel this emotion again. So in other words, if we have this crippling belief about ourselves, you know, like um, I work with lots of people, everyone has a different core destructive belief, by the way, Mm -hmm. and we don't know what it is until we uh, dig it out. Um, But, you know, there there are some very dark ones, you know, like I'm a reject, um, I'm evil, (laughs) Uh, I'm better off dead. It goes way beyond I'm not good enough. And so, um, and of course, they're not true. But if we wrap ourselves, uh, if if we identify ourselves as this core destructive belief, then when we get into trouble or when we're punished as a child or when something bad happens to us, it kind of makes sense because it's like, oh, yeah, you know, like my one was I'm naughty, actually. Um, So every time my mum would would say to me, you naughty, naughty girl, but in a very, you know, obviously louder and more angry than that because I did try to get rid of my baby sister. So there were reasons I was getting punished. Well, there you go. Yes. <laughs> um, but uh, so so every time she would uh, get angry with me, 
subconsciously, obviously I wasn't doing this consciously, I'd go, yeah, well, of course, because I'm naughty. What do you expect? You know, and and then that belief triggers a fear of getting into trouble mm. for me. And so what happens, um, uh, we don't stay in that space of I'm naughty. What, subconsciously we try and compensate for this core destructive belief by being the opposite. So this sent me off on a path of being teacher's pet at school, never getting into trouble, you know, being this uh, probably quite unbearable person for the other class members. You know, I was always the milk monitor. I was always working hard to get perfect results in every test. And so that's the overcompensating self. But, of course, that's not really who we are either. And so we're uh, vacillating between these two identities and uh, it's impossible to... uh, go through life doing that, even though we do it uh, subconsciously as adults. You know, look at look at all the people out there with savior complex, or yeah. look at all the entrepreneurs out there saying, "I'm going to be the biggest. I'm going to be the best." You know, what's the core destructive belief driving them? Yeah, uh, because it's not who we are. We inevitably um, crash, and so this is what I realized. Uh, I had to get to the bottom of was what's this story that we've built around ourselves that's not serving us that will inevitably force us to crash in some way or keep us stuck because it's essentially trying to protect us and stop us from being our true self. And when I look at the person who took out the margin loan in 2006 that caused our financial collapse, that was definitely I am naughty at work, you know, prepared to take any risk. And I wouldn't do that now, but I I can trace back all the calamities in my life to that single belief. Wow. Wow. That's, uh, <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. <laughs> now I got, you got me thinking about my core destructive belief or, you know, I have some ideas about it. Um, Cause again, I, I agree. We all have things that sort of, we get trained to do and we get used to, and then we always kind of revert back to our training or our some sort of uh, comfortable place that we know what to do, especially in times of stress and strain and tiredness. I mean, probably when you went on that um, that trek, you know, where they were like doing all these physical things to you and all of a sudden you're like exhausted, you know, the wall comes down. Like they take you down to bare metal for a reason. They break you down so that you can truly see who you are. Special forces groups do this elite athletics do anything that sort of needs to push the envelope of performance they want to break you down to the point so they can build you back up as a better you and yeah this is an interesting idea this core destructive belief um really fascinating that you found it and man (laughs) (laughs) well you you know jerry what um this is the advertising person in me. What really frustrated me when I was at my dark moment was that no one could help me. And if someone could, it might be, a th- so I did some therapy, mm-hmm. but there was no uh, promised outcome. There was no uh, journey. There was no sense of, look, if we do this, this, and this, you'll get to this place. Right. Uh, it was just like, oh, Janet, what would you like to talk about this week? And I go, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just want to get out of where I'm at, at now. So I thought maybe being a doctor's daughter, I I thought maybe a more prescriptive approach is the way to go. Uh, Maybe I need to put on my white coat and say, all right, you do this and you do this and you do this and you'll get to here. So that's essentially 
what I decided uh, to do because you cannot unearth your core destructive belief on your own. You simply cannot. Uh, it's impossible. And I think that's, if we could, we wouldn't be, uh, I wouldn't be talking to you right now. We wouldn't have all the misery in the world. We wouldn't have people saying, I feel so stuck. I feel so yeah. uncertain about the future. It's this belief that we talk about limiting beliefs, but this is the mother of all limiting beliefs. It's one that sits at the bottom of all the others, that it almost gives rise to all the others. Uh, but we have to get to that one. It's it's like um, I, I picture it almost like, you know, the, this mother termite that sits at the bottom of us eating away at our foundations. And, you know, that feeling of you want to charge ahead in life. So you've got one foot on the accelerator, but at the same time, you've got a foot on the brake and all you can smell is the burning rubber on the road. And you're going, why am I in this place? You know. And, and, of course, we've got the overcompensating self that is saying, you can do it, and we're following all the affirmations, which cannot work while there's a core destructive belief at work. It doesn't matter how many times you say to yourself, I'm a money magnet or whatever your affirmation is, right, 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 right. While, while it contradicts the core destructive belief, um, you're going to end up probably feeling more of a failure. Um, so that's my belief anyway. That's uh, definitely what I've found to be true in people that I uh, work with. But the interesting thing in all of this, and this is why I feel it's actually, um, it's almost like an initiation or a rite of passage. I do feel it is the human journey, is that we were given all of this suffering for a reason. Um, and so when we, kind of, when we can finally unravel the puzzle of who we are, with that realisation, it's not about getting rid of the core destructive belief. It's not about, oh, suddenly I'm immune, you know, suddenly I'm okay. It's about embracing it and going, so what is the gold in this? Because it's usually a strength that's actually just played up too loud. You know, I was working with a woman the other day and her core destructive belief was I'm too spirited. So to deal with that, so her overcompensating self was saying I can make anything work. Mm. So she married someone who was not right for her who was archly conservative, um, who kept making her feel bad. He, he would never use the words, you know, you're too spirited, right? Right, right? But this was the takeaway for her. You know, he was saying, why can't you just be a responsible wife? You know, why can't you be just a stay at home uh, in the kitchen? I just want you in two rooms. I want you in the kitchen. I want you in the bedroom. Can't you deal with that? And her overcompensating self was saying, I can make this work. I can make this work. Yeah. But, of course, her, her, her spirit, her soul uh, was yeah. being crushed in the yeah. process. So, so this is what happens. We try so hard to fight this belief that we're not even aware is there, that we force ourselves into these situations. And I see so many entrepreneurs doing just this. And life becomes really hard inevitably because we can't maintain it. It's actually not natural. It takes a huge effort to be that superhero of a person. We lose our ability to relate to others. Uh, we become unrelatable. You know, it's all about how good am I? Look at me, just like me as the teacher's pet, you know. Um, how many kids were sitting in that classroom going, wow, I feel really stupid. You know, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a persona that betters the world, even though we think it is. Right. And um, so, uh, but the wonderful thing is that once we bring this to our awareness, we actually understand what's been driving us. It, it's, it's, it's fascinating, but just with that awareness, that consciousness, uh, it starts to go away. So because we're actually becoming consciously aware of it. Um, and then what happens is we go, we, we ask ourselves a question. All right, 
Okay, I can keep ricocheting between these two crazy stories that I've created around myself. Or I can just sit in my truth. And right. I, I call that uh, like the gravity point. So if I was just to hang between those two beliefs, what would that be? Who's that person? Um, and inevitably, it's a much easier place to be. And if we as entrepreneurs can show up from that space, that's when people actually, you know, if we want to be influencers, that's when people will listen because we're coming from a place um, of empathy because we've actually started to acknowledge the pain and suffering and the wounds. We've gone to that dark past and understood where this belief came from. Yeah. And we are able to be present as a human being to a fellow human being, not trying to prove how good we are or how much better we are than everyone else. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, you do have to do the hard work to get there. And uh, a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs don't don't do that right away. Um, no, you know they well they they try, and, and and it's not. I'm not saying. I mean, everyone has to do the work. Entrepreneurs are a little different in terms of the outward kind of. I wouldn't say look at me, look at me, look at me, but I mean it's kind of the only job where you have the audacity to say I'm going to create something from nothing and look at me do it. <laughs> you know, I mean. You know, I'm glad that we have them. I'm glad I'm one. I can't see myself doing anything else because I'm unmanageable and unemployable in some in some sense. But it, it's uh it's the there's this real um, fight, at least in in me, and that I've also seen in others. Where you know, who are you? You know, are you this you know entrepreneur that's crushing the world, or are you who you are? And anytime you try to have those two sides of you. It, it, you're right. It's exhausting. You're only at a core one person. And that one person is whatever your gift is, however it chooses to express it. And you may have suppressed it. It may not be what you're doing right now. It may be in a bad relationship. It may be all these things that you've sort of conditioned yourself to be like, this is what I need to do because I was either told to do this or I think this is who I am. And then it turns out that's not you. Oh, golly gee <laughs> now what right uh and that's yeah. a hard thing to it's a hard thing to to deal with i mean yeah I, I remember the time where i sort of understood that for myself and um tragedy and trauma accelerate that <laughs> if you it can accelerate it both yeah. ways you either accelerate or fall forward or you fall so far back that you want to walk in front of a bus. I mean, that's the extremes. But the the interesting thing is that, you know, like you said, every one of us has got who we are at the core and it gets masked over in some cases, depending on how we've been conditioned. And I think the more we can kind of reveal our true selves – I think it, you'll, you're just better off because you kind of know who you want to be, know what you want. And even if you don't know what you want, at least you know who you are. You may not get everything you want, but at least you're comfortable with that, right? And that's just profound. Yeah, it's uh, what's interesting, what I find in the entrepreneur space, I, I, I suppose I, I love working with entrepreneurs because I understand that. 
that space. And I think there's a, a fear of, yeah, but if I take this drive away, then I might just be happy as I am and not want to do anything, you know. <laughs> um, there's so there's, there's yeah, there's definitely um, that. But remembering that uh, the fact that you've been able to achieve as much as you have despite these beliefs that have been working against you is extraordinary. All I'm saying is now that you've done that, you can step into your true power because once you take away the friction of these discordant beliefs and just step into your uh, true, your, you know, who you are truly, and it can be something very, very simple, you know, like I worked with um, uh, uh, quite a big name in the coaching area and his core destructive belief was I'm too dark. Uh, he had a mum who was very religious and I think as a little boy he must have developed this idea that she was like saintly and there was something wrong with him in that area. He's too dark. So accordingly in the influencer space, his overcompensating self was I'm a beacon of light, you mm. know. I'm here to light up the world, you know. <laughs> I'm here to show you you can do it, you know. And But there was something... Uh, ultimately a bit hollow about yeah. that yeah 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 and so 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 when we did this work together what he realized and it was just like you know an insight it, it, the thing is this work doesn't have to take months it takes yeah. seconds yeah. it takes seconds to have these realizations he, yeah. he went oh my god i'm not too dark and i'm not this ridiculous beacon of light i am the wisdom of gray and so he sits in this space, the wisdom of grey gives him permission to be as dark as he wants to be. Yeah. He knows that, yes, yeah, sometimes he does have to be that beacon of light, but there's not this internal pressure to be this, this uh, false uh, identity that was pushing him before. Yeah. And so accordingly he can just settle, uh, settle into that space and accordingly how he's influencing people now, he's only got bigger. Yeah. from this space. He hasn't got smaller. He's more motivated because the energy is coming now, uh, not just from within, but also when you really do step into your power, people are so ignited by that that they want to come on board and they want to work with you just because of what you represent. And so... Yeah, because he's, you finally he's, like tapped into what they want to tap into. Yes, they, exactly. They, yeah. they see in you, oh, well, you've sort of figured it out or you're a little farther ahead than I am. I mean, it, it's... It, it it does yeah it doesn't take like years of meditation on a mountain <laughs> to like have no. the aha moment. I, I no, know it doesn't. I know for me, uh, you know, I, I just realized that you know every day is a precious day. You know, use your day wisely. But then, if I didn't get up tomorrow, I'm okay with that. Not to be morose, but to be like I live the full life as much as I could live a full life. And that's, that's, that's what Jane taught me in one sense, because, um, you know, we had big plans. I mean, we were on the similar track that you and your family was on to just, I mean, I hundred percent, that's what we wanted to do. Not to say that I wouldn't want to do some of that now, but I have a totally different mindset about money and career. And like, I want to do things that make me happy and that contribute to the world. And, you know, my gift is that I am good at telling stories. Like my gift to the world is to, to make things that are complex, simple, and to tell better stories. Like that's what I was put here for. And I didn't, I mean, I'm a trained engineer. <laughs> I mean, like I, I am the, all, all, the absolute opposite of that. But I realized that when I started talking about my experience with Jane 
my entrepreneurship journey, the ups and downs, and that not everything was, you know, sunny in startup land, people started to really resonate with that because they're like, oh, well, you're actually like, this is the real thing. Like you're not sugarcoating it. And I'm not, I'm not being negative, but I like the, that gray analogy, the light and the dark, um, the good and the evil, the yin and I mean, everything has an opposite. It has to, there's nothing, if it doesn't have an opposite, there's no contrast. So how can I contrast like a good day versus a bad day if I've never had a bad day? Or conversely, if I've never had a good day, how can I judge a bad day? And so you realize that the that that as you get more comfortable with this, at least I have, as I've gotten more comfortable with it, you start to realize that one, everyone's trying to figure it out and that c- compassion and empathy, and, and sometimes it's more compassion than empathy because empathy can really drain you. Compassion is more like, well, this is your thing, but I I feel for you, as opposed to I can feel your pain. Because a lot of times, if you have too much empathy, that shuts you down too. Because <laughs> it's like, ah, you know. But it's just it's just fascinating because the sooner as an entrepreneur, you want to you understand your why, your core internal why, your gift to the world, why you're put here. It may not even be entrepreneurship or maybe something else, or you can manifest it in an entrepreneurship way. Like you become more happy, but not just more happy, but you make the world happier, which I think is the beautiful thing about what you realized. I mean, you are making the world better, right? Because you are doing good, you're feeling good, and, and the world is better because you're here. The world is better because all of us are here. That's the thing that I also realized. Every little person has their bit of the world. And every little bit of us makes who we are and that everyone has a value. And once you start to realize that, like, you know, even it doesn't matter who it is. It's just, a, it's such a fascinating, you just, I'm just more calm. <laughs> I'm like, I feel better. You know, I sometimes get anxiety about, oh, I should have a bigger company or whatever. And I'm like, nah, you know what? I think I'd just rather, I'd just rather do what I want to do. It's so true when you're because what you're doing, you're not only are you expressing your gift of, uh, you know, creating stories, but inevitably when you're doing what you love as you are, as you do, inevitably you want to, you have to give that gift to others. You just have to. So this completes the cycle. You learn how to receive it by getting rid of your core destructive belief, which is telling you all the reasons you shouldn't receive your gift because that in accepting the gift, comes the obligation to step into your true power, and we're scared of doing that. So you get, get, get out of your own way, receive the gift, and then you, you give it back to others, and that's exactly what you're doing, Jari, just you and me talking. You're allowing me now to tell my story and all these other people that you interview. So in receiving your gift and allowing yourself, uh, giving us, being the, the generous person to allow yourself to enjoy that gift and explore it, uh, inevitably you're going to want to give that gift to others and that's exactly what you're doing helping others tell their story and so it's this uh, this is what I call a true meaning of prosperity it's a state of exchange mm. so prosperity uh, implies wealth but it's way more than that when you're in the state of exchange and giving and receiving continuously uh, yeah uh, money flows as a byproduct of that Money's no longer the end game. And in the realisation that you're becoming fulfilled 
in this exchange that, you know, we enter into. Uh, The money aspect says, you know what, maybe, because I used to say um, I need the Learjet and I need the the house (laughs) in the Caribbean, already got the mansion in Australia, but I need one in a couple of other countries. Uh, All of this is trying to fill a void that can never be filled via that need. So that's why we have this endless appetite and this you know, endless need to consume. But once we become satisfied within ourselves, we go, actually, I'm kind of happy just wherever I am. I don't really care where I am. I'd like, I've got a beautiful view onto a marina right now, which I look at and I love that. Yeah. Um, but I don't have to own every house on the other side of the bay anymore. You know, I don't, yeah. that's, not, that's not important. Uh, the money comes as I need it. Uh, it's no longer the obsession. Yeah. Wow. No, that's that's a great place to end. <laughs> really, I'm blown away by by just it's just such a lovely. Not a lot of people talk about this stuff. You know, people think, oh, you know, it's not for me or whatever. But really, the work, internal work of what you're trying to do with your clients, as well as having to, you know, give your gift to the world and be that light for lack of a better word i wish more people did that because i think the world would be a better place i really do Mm -hmm. and uh continue to do the great work you're doing stay safe during of course the covid19 pandemic but uh i really enjoyed talking with you and uh yeah good luck in uh in all your endeavors yeah, well, I think we've just shared a beautiful moment together. This is an example of um, being present. I love um, being able to tell my story. So thank you for sharing your gift and giving me that opportunity. There you go. And this is what life is. You know, we go, it's not the top of the mountain. Yeah, we need to know that what that is. But it's just moments like this. This is what the journey is. 100%. So thank you, Jari. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur, and frankly, world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at The Daily MBA, and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.